y'all. This is Dr. Erica Goodwin, and today we'll be mapping imposter syndrome on the 15-Minute Matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected. We are all unique and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be talking with Dr. Erica Goodwin. Dr. Erica Goodwin is on a mission to help you be better, do better, and live better. She is a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist, best-selling author, top-rated speaker, integrative lifestyle coach, and creator of the hit podcast, Better with Dr. Erica. She is a graduate of Spelman College and Emory University School of Medicine. She also completed her general psychiatry residency at Morehouse School of Medicine. Dr. Erica's story is proof that when you know better, you can do better. Hi, Dr. Erica. Thank you for joining me on the 15-Minute Matrix. Thanks. I am totally excited to be here. I am excited to have this conversation. We're talking today about imposter syndrome, and it's a big topic with many roots. And I'm wondering if you can start us off by defining imposter syndrome. What is it? I like to define imposter syndrome is this situation where No matter how good you are, you never feel good enough. And to me, that's just the simplest way to put it. Yeah, it's a great way to put it. And it happens to all of us. There's nobody who doesn't experience this, right? That is correct. Even though there is a lot of talk that it's also really common in minorities and in women. It's pretty logical to me why you can draw these parallels of why it would show up in some of these communities a little bit more. Because in these communities, it's so many people oftentimes telling you that you can't do something or you're not smart enough or you're not good enough. So you don't even have to come up with cognitive distortions in your head about why you're not good enough. People have been telling you that since you were young. So it's not uncommon and pretty easy to see how you'd get into these thought patterns when we live in, quite honestly, a patriarchal society that is run by white men. Yeah. You know, when you say that, I think so much about what I've experienced as a female business owner, entrepreneur, and how under my skin, so to speak, it has gotten that I cannot do certain things that I might be doing already, but I find myself encountering an inner voice or an inner sense 
that tells me I can't. Is that where it comes from? Is it this inner voice, this questioning of ourselves? Yes, it's that inner voice. And one of the things I talk about a lot, I use this concept called the better seven, these seven essential areas that will get you to that better life. And one of them is self-talk and the voice and the tone and the content of what we tell ourselves is so powerful. And the thing with imposter syndrome is not only are you critical and hard on yourself, but you're telling yourself lies. And it just happens. Like an example to me of when it became really clear is sometimes I supervise trainees and I was supervising a child psychiatry fellow. And I remember just thinking, gosh, he just seems so free to talk about his thoughts in any meeting, no matter who's in the room and just to be, and he was a white male. And it just made me think back to all of the times a lot of my colleagues were in rooms second-guessing ourselves and also wondering what everyone's perception was of us. And if you didn't see the picture, I'm a Black female, of what other people's thoughts were. So you have all of these thoughts going on in the background, and you're not just simply being and being in the moment and feeling confident. And I think that's the thing that imposter syndrome just robs people of. It robs them of this confidence to be able to grab and claim what is yours. Right. And it's that authenticity in the moment, like you're saying, Dr. Erica. And also I am wondering about the post moment, right? Like where we not only question ourselves in the moment, but we question ourselves afterwards. We ask, did I say that right? What was that look? What did that mean? Should I have? Could I have? That happens too as part of the experience. Would you also call that part of imposter syndrome? Yes, it can be part of it. And you just hit the nail right on the head. I love talking to you already. Is that if we think about the amount of cognitive capacity that it takes to process all this information, So the amount of mental space you're using, processing, am I good enough, rehearsing, how do I do this, can I do this, the 8 million things you need to do when it may have been three steps because you weren't sure, then the processing afterwards, did I do the right thing, is there something else I should be doing, what are my next steps, that's over and beyond what you would typically think of as your next steps. There's brain capacity that has been used up by unnecessary stuff. Yeah, so important. And I often call this in healthcare nonviolent communication with self. Like, how do we stop and listen to our signs and symptoms so that we understand them and can hear them? And I'm kind of applying that to what you're talking about, too. How do we hear ourselves in this negative self talk and honor that it has roots, that it comes from somewhere, and that we get to shift it somehow? That is wonderful. I love that. I, I'll have to give you credit for the nonviolent self-talk. I love it. <laughs> it's like one of those things where if you're driving and you're playing punch buggy and all of a sudden you see all the Volkswagens, <laughs> but if you weren't playing punch buggy, you wouldn't notice them, is that a lot of this, it's that practice of giving yourself space to be and practice of getting quiet, but also practice in monitoring your self-talk. Because the more you practice monitoring it, the quicker you will catch it if it starts going negative. And a lot of times it's that practice because that's another skill. Just like you practice all of your skills of being a clinician or healthcare provider, 
It takes skill to be able to quickly take someone's blood pressure and hear it when the sound goes away. And it takes practice to get used to actually paying attention to your self-talk because you have to be able to recognize these negative thoughts and this negative self-talk to then prevent it or correct it. Yeah. It reminds me of another analogy that I use for autoimmunity, right? We're going to have flares. It's impossible not to have a flare, but our goal is to increase the space between the occurrence of the flares and decrease the time we spend in the flare, right? That's our best bet. And it sounds like that with self-talk too. It's almost like an inflammatory molecule of its own, right? That is impacting us. So what I hear you saying is it's going to happen, recognize it, acknowledge it, and then how do we talk to ourselves through it? That becomes a question for you as an, the expert I'm turning to. How do we move <laughs> out of that negative self-talk? Three quick things. Number one is when you hear yourself saying negative things about yourself, say one positive thing about yourself to yourself. And I'm an only child, so I'm good at having those conversations that are like self. <laughs> so number one is tell yourself something positive when you start going down that road. Number two is for a lot of people, it's good to keep a list of your accomplishments somewhere that when you start doubting yourself, you can literally pull up your CV, your resume, or your list of ta-da's, those things that you've done to remind yourself, because a lot of times if you get so wrapped up, you start forgetting everything you've done. Number three is, I call it, it's kind of like phone a cheerleader, that friend or that family member that no matter what's going on is going to have a positive word for you and will tell you how great you are. And you want to have at least one cheerleader on speed dial so that when you start getting in these patterns, you can call them or send them a quick text. And because a lot of this is, it's kind of like modified cognitive therapy where you're taking this negative automatic thought, which typically is some version of I'm not good enough or I don't deserve this or I haven't earned this. And you want to interrupt the thought and then replace it with another thought, which we want it to be something that's affirming and positive. So all of these are different ways to interrupt and then come back with positive feedback instead of the negative feedback that you were stuck in a loop with. I love that. I love that we can get practical about it. And I'm curious from a therapeutic standpoint, we talked about some of the triggers, obviously being female, what our race or cultural background is, what we've been fed throughout our societal or social constructs, I should say, about who we are and what we can do. But sometimes these triggers are also familial and not necessarily ill-meaning, like the, you know, dominant mother who has the highest expectations or the father who didn't like anything less than an A. How do we counter even the best-meaning folks that we can't necessarily separate ourselves from? Do we need more of those three things in our life? <laughs> like, what, what is the balancing act there? I'd go with another three. The first one is you have to identify who is team you. So for you, it'd be like, who's team Andrea? And for me, it's like, who's team Dr. Erica? We're going to talk about these three things are ways to kind of curate the input that you get. A lot of this ends up really boiling down to boundary management. 
So the first thing is you want to identify who is team you, who's got your back. You know, we don't have to have people that lie to us, <laughs> you know, but you want someone that's going to be honest and build you up. Number two is you have to teach people how to treat you. And a lot of times that can go with friends, that can go with work, that can go with colleagues, it could go with your family. And you have to start asserting some of these boundaries and letting people know what kind of communication feels good versus what doesn't feel good. Because a lot of times people have these communication styles that they've learned from their family members. So if you don't tell them, sometimes they may not realize it. And then you have to honestly communicate that it just doesn't feel good. And you can do that old school thing of when you say this, it makes me feel like blank. But the main thing is, is, you know, there may be that person always left in the black family. There's always this talk of grandma who tells you when you have a zit in the middle of your forehead that you right. really had, <laughs> or the person that says, you know, you gained weight and, you know, everyone knows when they gain weight themselves is that you have to be able to start practicing. And this takes practice because a lot of times the family members that can have this impact on us are ones that we're used to this communication style since we were kids is that sometimes you have to tell them that hurts my feelings or that's not supportive. But where the practice comes in is being able to tell people how to communicate with you in a way that feels good and supportive. And sometimes it's telling them, if you don't have something good to say, I need you to hold it. The third is there are times where you just have to limit contact with people because they are not pouring into you. They are putting holes in your emotional bucket. And that may be when they become people that call and you only text them back. Or you know that if you see them, it's going to be a time limited. That may not be the place you spend a million hours at. You may spend an hour with them. And the bonus is that we talk about it a lot during the holidays. Sometimes you end up coming up with boundaries, especially for family gatherings, that there are some topics you're just not going to talk about. Yeah, this is so good. This is golden, Dr. Erica. I'm thinking both how we can apply this to our work with clients and patients, right? How we understand where their boundaries are and where their self-talk is and where they're feeling an element of imposter syndrome, which like we said, everyone is. I'm also thinking of the practitioners. So I train thousands of practitioners every year. I'm giving them what they need to get out there and be successful functional nutrition counselors. But what I see so often is that they feel like they don't know enough. They come back and say, do I need this training? Should I do this? Do I need this letter? Do I need these letters after my name? Can I help these people? Who will believe me? And so one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you, Dr. Erica, is I see it every day in people limiting the knowledge that I know they have, not just from the training, but from me seeing their workout in the world. And they're telling themselves they can't for all these reasons that you're talking about and more. And I believe we need to change the way we do healthcare. And we can't just sit back and not do the work we're meant to do and feel passionate about. Help me talk to you the practitioners out there who are telling themselves they can't when they absolutely can? The first thing I'd say is if you want an easy way to see that you are prepared and you are actually knowledgeable, go to social media and start scrolling health influencers, like especially TikTok and Instagram, and then look at their credentials. 
Good point. (laughs) And there's also a generational component. I'm not a millennial. I'm older than that. I will not say what generation I'm in. I'll just say I'm older than a millennial. But one of the things I love about some of the younger people is they're not as tied to this culture of proving themselves before they do stuff. They're just like, I want to do it. I'm going to do it. You know, because we even see it in medicine where there are people in their residency like, what's a job I can get and not practice medicine? And we're all like, wow, we would have never thought of doing that before we actually practiced On one hand, it's that comparative thing. Look out there and see people that are doing what you're doing. There's going to be a chunk of people doing what you want to do that are not qualified at all. That will remind you how qualified you are. The second is at some point, you just have to do it. And I think that's the big part of this conversation and why I'm glad you had the brilliant idea to talk about this is how much all of this fear of not being good enough or not being prepared enough keeps you from really manifesting your purpose and claiming the gifts that were created for you. And all of this time that's stuck perseverating over, am I ready? Am I ready? We're not talking about just regular preparation because I appreciate it when people are actually prepared to be qualified to do what they do because being in the health space, I know you and all of your listeners have had times where you work with someone that's a client or a patient and they worked with someone that was 100% unqualified to help them. So I appreciate being qualified and trained appropriately, but I do think at some point you have to leave the nest and you have to do it because you have to get that experience in to even have that next step of failures that will lead to your highest level of success. Mm -hmm. You said that so beautifully, Dr. Erica, and I was writing the word purpose as you were about to say it. You said it as I was writing it. And I actually think that when we are in service to our purpose, and I may trip over these words here, so help me out here, (laughs) but when we are in service to our purpose, the ego that feeds the imposter syndrome gets out of the way. I do think it gets a lot better. And the other thing I would say in purpose, and one of the reasons I'm just glad the lens that you look at, because I do love this functional matrix. It's really super cool, super, super cool, is a lot of these dimensions are things that will help you get quiet enough to truly hear and have a full understanding of your purpose. Because it's hard to understand your purpose if there's too much noise and chaos. There's like a whole side of this matrix that it's that sleep and relaxation, that exercise and movement, having good nutrition and hydration so that your body can function, being able to release stress, which can be done in so many ways, and then having these healthy relationships. Don't take credit. I talk about these things in another model, but She has them, so we're going to (laughs) use, you know. Uh, But those are the things that help you get quiet enough so that you can hear your inner voice or your higher power to understand not only what your purpose is, but how to move in your purpose in a way that feels good. Because that's the other trap a lot of caregivers and healthcare people get trapped in especially when your purpose is something that is service-related or care-related, that there are so many ways to live in that purpose, but there are ways to live in that purpose that will drain you dry. 
So I love that you have this matrix because you need to take care of your entire body, have cognitive clarity, and this isn't a static process that you're going to continue to learn, adapt, and seasons change. What may be the way to manifest your purpose in one season may be different than the next season, but you have to be able to take care of your mind, spirit, and your vessel to be able to truly understand how to do that in the way to make the most out of every day because we only have a limited amount of time. And CDC just said the average life expectancy for a U.S. adult has dropped for the second year in a row. Wow. And the goal is if you do all of these things in the functional matrix or what I use as the better seven, it puts you in a better position to hopefully extend that time out and extend that life out so that you're not one of the people that are checking out early. Yeah. Yeah. I'm nodding my head. My page is scribbled with notes. Before I let you go, Dr. Erica, can you share the better seven with us? Yes, I would totally love to share the better seven with you. So the better seven are these seven essential areas that are important for you to have a better life, that life that you were created for. So one is support. Some of them are literal. (laughs) They don't take a lot of explanation, but support. So who are the people around you that support you, but also the ways that you get help from your wellness team, but it may also be the valet cleaning you do, or the Instacart, all the things that just make your life easier. So we have support, we have sleep. See, aren't mm-hmm. these starting to sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> they they are sounding so familiar. Synergy, synergy. I know. And then we have supply. So that's what you eat and drink, what you put into your body. We have steps, which is exercise or movement. Silence. Mm. So silence is going to be all those things that help your mind get quiet. So that can be prayer. It can be when you are meditating. It could be just sitting quiet. (laughs) Then we have self-talk, which we've already talked about, and structure. So just kind of that structure, that routine in your day. This is brilliant, Dr. Erica. I knew I wanted to speak with you and I have chills from the synergy. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your brilliance with us today. Thank you. I had a blast. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks go out to Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, Sandra Brower, Evan Hollingsworth, Heidi Kaufman-Lakowitz, and Rowan Bradley for their support making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. 
We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review, and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month emerging course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.